The concern, the burden I have with this sermon series called the best story ever, the story of the Bible, the concern is that we as Christians get lost and lose the big picture of the Bible. We might know all the individual parts pretty well, but we lose the big picture of the Bible and there is a something that happens when we lose that big picture. We lose the hope that we would have had when we knew the, know the big picture. And we also lose this aspect of something to celebrate of what God is doing for us. We might understand little parts here and there, but when we are familiar with the big picture of the Bible, it's exciting. It truly is the best story ever, and we are living it. So, the series goal, the sermon series goal is let's read the best story ever. What I mean by read, we're not going to be reading every verse in the Bible in the sermon series, but the idea of engaging it, understanding it, putting it together, to put it into our own words and to celebrate it. Together we're going to celebrate it, but also individually. So we're going to be thinking about how we can formulate and describe to ourselves and to others this best story ever and to celebrate it together and privately. And the key point of Genesis, which we looked at last week and we're going to finish up this week, is the Bible is the best story ever. And Genesis is the once upon a time. And it's not that Genesis is fictional. But it's the idea of, it's the beginning of the story, is what I'm trying to capture. The Genesis is absolutely true and accurate, but it is the beginning of that best story ever. And Genesis, once again, is the once upon a time of the best story ever, and it explains the beginning of all things, which we looked at last week, as well as it's the beginning of the kingdom conflict which we also began to look at last week. Kingdom conflict is going to be all throughout the scriptures beginning to end, from the original creation to the new creation. And then there's one more aspect that I want to look at in the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at that today. Most of the books of the Bible, as we make our way through the Bible, I'm only going to be doing one book a Sunday. There are a few I think it's necessary to spend more than one Sunday. Last time, we traced a digression. So we, we talked about the beauty of the beginning, and we do not want to fail to celebrate the goodness and greatness of God's creation and the relationship that came out of that. But also, we do not want to fail to recognize the fall and its effects And so Genesis starts on the highest point. And it is the highest point of the whole Bible until you get to the end. But the high point is very short. We don't know how long actually it lasted. But in the scope of the story, it is a very small part of the story. And then we have the the fall. And it is a very sad moment, but Genesis chapter 4, with Cain murdering Abel, it goes even further down. 
And then you have the civilization of Cain's descendants and the degradation goes even further down. Then you get to Genesis chapter 5. And you have right before the flood, when God sees that the whole earth is evil. And not only evil, it's continually evil. Every thought is to more evil and more evil. So it's going down, 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 down. And so God brings judgment through the flood makes a covenant with Noah, and we talked about there is a remnant. There's always a remnant, even in the midst of the great evil of this world. And then we talked about chapter 11. So after this flood, you know, did humanity learn its lesson? Did things start to head the right direction? No. Even after this worldwide flood, a period of time passed, we saw in Genesis 10, the table, what some people call the table of nations. It's a list of all these nations and cities that started, including Babylon and Syria. And you can begin to see the emergence of what we know in the rest of the Bible is what we, I'm calling the counter kingdom. The kingdom that opposes God, Babylon, we, we hear about as a counter kingdom to God all the way to the book of Revelation. And uh, we hear about Assyria quite a bit in the Old Testament. There is emerging these these cities and these nations that rise up and exalt themselves against God. And in Genesis chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel. And there is great pride among men. And we are going to exalt ourselves and nobody can stop us. And we're going to build a tower all the way up to God. So we're going down, down, down. And God... Um, dethrones them, weakens them, gives them different languages, and spreads them and decentralizes them. And so we look at this continual downward descent, this continual problem of evil and humanity. What else is God going to do? How is God going to handle this human heart that is bent on destruction? And that's what we're going to look at today. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would enable me to speak clear this morning. Thank you for the amazing riches of your word. May we all cherish it this morning. What a privilege we have. We have, I think all of us have multiple copies of your word. We have it on our phone and many translations. We have our Bibles that we've studied and read and thought of and meditated over for years now. We are a blessed people. And may that richness well up in our heart this morning as we consider one of the major themes of the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anybody ever looked on the map and traced the Mississippi River to where it starts? It's, it's kind of interesting. I, I've traced it on up into Canada, and it gets to the point to where it's very hard to figure out, well, what's the Mississippi River and what's some other small river? The Mississippi River gets really small and really hard to figure out, you know, which is, you know, the Mississippi River versus another river, because it's so small that sometimes when you, at least on the smartphone apps, you zoom in on the, on the river, it doesn't even label the river, because it's so small.
And then a few years ago, when we were on vacation, we were down camping around New Orleans, and we and we see where it comes out, this huge river, and there's this huge bridge that goes over. To, have multiple bridges there in New Orleans that go over the Mississippi River. And that's the way I feel what, where we're at, the analogy I want to make for where we're at in the scriptures. We're going to introduce a concept that at the beginning here is rather small, but it becomes huge throughout the scriptures. And then when we get at the end, it is a big part of what God is doing. And it is a big part of what we are experiencing today. So today, we're going to look at the concept of covenant. Covenant. And now, the idea of covenant expressly or specifically starts with Noah. In Genesis chapter 6. <coughs> Many of God's people who have studied the scriptures believe that there is a covenant, a creation, although it is not mentioned, it's just assumed or, it's assumed or inherent. And it seems that as mankind increases in sinfulness, that God makes plainer and plainer this concept of covenant with his people because of the need to explain the relationship that we have with God through covenant. We're actually not going to be spending a lot of time today on what we call the Abrahamic covenant, but it's going to be a part of what we're going to be talking about a little bit later on. So number one, as we talk about covenant, number one, I want to explore the rich concept of covenant. The rich concept of covenant through the story of the Bible. This concept of covenant is one of the richest concepts that you will get as you study the scriptures. This summer, my wife and I got to see some friends we hadn't seen in a few years. And as far as our married life, we've been friends with this couple our entire married life. But we haven't lived in the same state now for several years. Talking about Matt and Amy Athey. Uh, Matt and I have some stories that are very embarrassing um, from our college days. And uh, I met Matt during our freshman year in college. We were in the same, what they call, societies of Bob Jones University. And Matt was sitting in front of me in chapel, which we had Monday through Thursday. And he was falling asleep every day. So I kept on waking him up because he was sleeping during the preaching. And he would get so irritated with me. But guess what? We became friends, lifelong friends. And I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. And like I said, we have many, from years ago and less so recently, many embarrassing stories. One time um, I called Matt, and I think I woke him up. And then when we got off the phone, he says, hey, I love you. Goodbye. And uh, now guys don't usually say, hey, I love you. Goodbye, just so you know. And so in one time... Uh, we were in a restaurant, and I was so used to, at that time we were both married, I was so used to being with my wife that I, when we went to pray, I grabbed his hand to pray. And once again, guys don't grab each other's hand in, in, in public um, to pray. Not normally. Maybe when you get up in your 60s and 70s, you know, maybe, maybe you do it then, but not usually when you're in your 20s. 
So this time we had um, seen Matt and Amy for several years, and so we got together. We had dinner together as families. And when you get together with friends you haven't been around for a long period of time, you have usually have this feeling, especially if they're really good friends and it's been a really long time, you have this feeling of you're really enjoying being together and trying to catch up. Yeah, you might have phone conversations, but it's not the same as being together in person, in body, and talking and sharing life. And so you have this feeling of, oh, this is fun to talk about things and share things, but you know that you don't have enough time to really catch up. But you're going to try anyways because you're really enjoying it. And that's what I want to apply to this concept of covenant. It is so rich, we're never going to exhaust it, even though we study it and study and study it, but we're going to try because it's fun to do it. And it's rich. It's a blessing. It is a joy. And so I want to give you a general definition of covenant. And this is on your handout. A general definition of covenant, and that is an agreement between two or more parties. An agreement <coughs> between two or more parties. And I got my New England trying to come up parties. You know, I can't say parties right for some reason. So that's just the bare bones um, thing. Let's give it a little more focused for us with our time here in the scriptures, and that's the next blank, an agreement between God and humanity. An agreement between God and humanity. And that's still pretty bare bones. But when you bring God into the equation with any agreement, that, that agreement gets amazing and a lot richer. You bring any human being into agreement, and that agreement becomes troubled. Just look at any agreement or covenants or, or contracts here in life, and and you have two human beings, and they're troubled, and they're struggling, and we have trouble with those things. That's why we have lawyers and courts and things like that. But you bring God in the equation to an agreement, it moves from troubled to very, very rich. And so I wanted to look at some spiritual implications of the idea of covenant, a covenant between God and humanity. And this is also on your handout. Humanity can have an undeserved relationship with God because of covenant. The fact that you can have a relationship with God, an agreement with God, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But that is one of the spiritual implications of God and covenant. And we see at the end of Genesis chapter 3, since we're talking so much big picture, we're not going to be spending as much time looking at verses. So when some verses come up, I really want us to turn there. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22. So what happened after sin and the curse that God pronounced on the serpent, on the woman, and on the man? This is what happened. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us. In knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand. And take also of the tree of life and eat. And live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him. Out from the garden of Eden. To work the ground. From which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim. And a flaming sword. That turned every way. To guard the way to the tree. Of Life. So here, now there is a gap. There is a barrier between us 
in God and enjoying face-to-face presence. And this gap and this barrier will be there until the new creation arrives. So how is God going to bridge that gap? Because God does not want us to have no relationship with Him. He wants us to enjoy relationship with Him, even if it is a limited relationship until the new creation arrives. So how is God going to bridge that gap? He is going to bridge that gap through covenant relationship. Okay, next spiritual implication. Humanity has an official means because of covenant by which God offers their rescue. So, yes, we can have relationship through covenant, but we can also be rescued. We, the human race, needs rescued. And the only one that can do it is God. And he offers official rescue through covenant. It is through covenant that we get Jesus Christ. It is through covenant that we are rescued by Christ. And it is through covenant that we arrive at our final destination, the new creation. We are a covenant people and we are rescued. Next spiritual implication. Not all of humanity is included in the covenant. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you can see very clearly, starting in Genesis chapter 4, that not all of humanity is going to be in a relationship with God and included in the covenant. There is from Genesis 3 onward, all the way to the end of Revelation, there is a counter-kingdom that is against God, hostile to God. Now, everyone is born into the wrong kingdom. You were born into the wrong kingdom. And the only way you are rescued from that kingdom, and as Colossians chapter 1 says, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light to His dear Son, is through the rescue, through covenant, and through Christ. But not everybody is going to be included in the covenant. There is a counter-kingdom. And there are those who do not accept God's offer of covenant and God's offer of rescue, God's offer of relationship. The next spiritual implication. Humanity sins against God and one another. Yet God still shows his love through covenant to his people. This is amazing. Um, we've mentioned this in the past. There's this word, Hebrew word called chesed. And it is, you know, it's like you have to get a whole toolbox of English words just to be able to translate this Hebrew word. But it is God's steadfast love, His commitment to you through covenant that He is going to be merciful and kind and loving and generous and He's going to stick with you no matter what. So as we talk about God's covenant, even though, unless we're blinded by our pride, we may not be able to see this. But if you're not blinded by your pride, you will see your human sinfulness. You will see your brokenness against as you sin against others and you sin against God. And you can begin to feel unworthy, which we are unworthy. You can begin to feel like, Life's not worth it because you're so broken. You continually sin. 
And yet, because we are in a covenant with God, we need to understand that God is committed to us with his love and his generous love to rescue us, to have a relationship with us in spite of our sin. Romans 5.8. How's it start again? I can't get it right. Romans 5.8. How's it start? God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Jesus knew all about our sin ahead of time. But his covenant love is expressed to us, showed to us, demonstrated to us, reaches out to us, even though we are sinners. This is the nature of the covenant that we are in. As we try to continue to understand the concept of covenant, I want to look at Two more things. We, we first of all looked at the general definition of covenant, then a focused definition, then we looked at some spiritual implications of this concept of covenant. Now I want to look at two main aspects. Uh, so letter A, 1A, humanity plays a small part in covenant. And God plays a huge part in covenant. This is so important. God does require us to play a part of faith. But as we we see that it is God who reaches out to us. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ran away from God, even though God had never done anything wrong to them. And so it is with the fallen human heart. We run away from God. We are born in the wrong kingdom. And God reaches out to us, takes the initiative But there comes a point where we must respond in faith. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12 as we talk about our small part and God's big part. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, so here God reaches out to Abraham. Abraham's not reaching out to God and looking for God. God reaches out to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, excuse me, Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, you, him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, let's turn to Genesis chapter 15, the first six verses. We're looking at what we call often in the scriptures as the Abrahamic covenant. We're not going to look at all the Abrahamic covenant passages, but this is one of the lar- the first large attention given to covenant in the in the Bible. And Genesis is with Abraham. It's briefly mentioned with Noah in Noah chapter 6. So Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. 
your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We talk about this concept of covenant, and the covenant relationship starts with our salvation by faith, but also God's grace, by grace through faith. And so God graciously reaches out to following humankind, and Abraham is an Old Testament model of salvation, same way it is in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is right in the middle of Paul's argument. We're going to dive into the middle of it. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Basically, Abraham, what value was it for Abraham to be circumcised when we're talking about salvation? So verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. So if because he was circumcised and he did the right thing in the Old Testament, does that mean that he could be justified and be saved? And Paul is saying no. Verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? And it's going to quote Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we'll stop there. So it's demonstrating here, this idea of covenant is going back to the Old Testament and is talking about Abraham and how God reached out to Abraham and told him and then God told him what to do and Abraham believed God and God counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved. And so God, when this matter of covenant all throughout the scriptures, and we right now, folks, we are in the new covenant right now. We'll talk more about that later. But God, from the beginning, reaches out to mankind generously through covenant and wants a relationship with people. He wants to rescue them. And He does it generously and kindly. But, a part of our covenant relationship with God is He generously reaches out to us and plays His big part. We have a small part of faith. Initial saving faith And then, a life of faith. To to illustrate what I'm talking about here, we're already in Romans. You can just flip over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 is probably one of the harder passages of Scripture to read, for me to preach, because it is so strong on God's Sovereignty and 
the power and the sovereignty of God in salvation. It's the same way in chapter 11. Chapters 9 and 11 are very strong on God's sovereignty. And Paul acknowledges at the end of chapter 11, how are we going to figure this out? We can't. We're just going to praise God for this. But right in the middle of chapters 9 and 11 is what? Chapter 10. Just making sure you can count. And chapter 10 is about our faith. So yes, when we talk about this concept of covenant and God's dealing with us and his relationship with us, he plays a huge part. But there is still our part of faith, of responding in faith for salvation and then living the life of faith as God's covenant people. You know, as we talk about trying to balance out, because, you know, depending on your church background and what you were taught, people get uncomfortable, you know, if we, if we, uh, give God's sovereignty too much credit, God's power too much credit, then there's other people who are on the other end of the spectrum where they think that man should get way more credit and God gets a little bit of credit. I really do believe the biblical pattern in the scriptures is that God plays a huge part and we do play a small part. And we try to sort that out and understand it. And this reminds me of a conversation that we have somewhat regular in our household. I hear about all kinds of things that happen at Bremen schools through my wife. Now, I do hear some of it myself when I substitute teach over there. But I hear the daily drama from my wife. And there's there's always going to be drama at school. And there will be times when, especially when she's talking about her her class and some of the drama and the crazy things that happen with three and well, this this case just four year old, four and five year olds, it's ridiculous. And then sometimes the parent drama. There's parent drama, by the way, this year, more than normal. And so I said, that's why you're the preschool teacher and I am not. But then I hear about some of the crazy things that happen in the rest of the school and what the principals have to deal with. By the way, I encourage you to pray for our principals. Um, Bruce Jennings, um, Andrew um, Rohde in the high school, and then you have Reggie Flesvig in our middle school. You have um, uh, Steve, uh, I can't remember his last name now, in our um, elementary school, and then Larry Yulaska. Um These guys... They deal with, I'm just going to use a somewhat bad word, they deal with crap a lot of the times. I mean, it's just constant what they have to deal with. I checked in with Reggie recently because he's had a tough year, real tough year. And I said, how are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm making it. He's had a tough year. But there are times I hear some crazy stories of what they have to deal with. There's times when they, have to, they couldn't get... Well, I shouldn't say. There's this crazy stories they have to deal with all the time. And then I look at my wife and say, that's why they get paid the big bucks. And they do get paid more than teachers, but they should get paid more than teachers. They deal with crazy things. I want to apply this here to how does how do we sort out this matter between our part and God's part? And I would just say, that's why God is God, my friends. There are things that we cannot conceptualize. We understand parts of it, but let God be God. He is going to have to figure that out. He is going to have to sort it out. Humanity plays a small part. God plays a big part. That was letter 1A. 
Letter 1B. Covenant contains both individual and corporate aspects. Covenant contains both individual and corporate aspects. So we see that with the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis. We see that there was things directed directly at Abraham. And he had a responsibility to respond. But we also see that included with the Abrahamic covenant was the people of God. And all that happened through Abraham. And that Abraham was joined. He was the beginning here of a big covenant in a community of God. And the nation of Israel. But we see both individual and corporate aspects. And so it's the same thing for you and I. We have individual responsibility before God, individual blessing from God, but we are also joined to the whole group corporately, God's church in this age, and we the church has responsibility, and the church has blessing from God, and we have a community together, a covenant community. The term used in the New Testament is almost always church, but... We have teaching from Jeremiah, as well as a few other places in the New Testament of us being in the New Covenant. So what I want to encourage you with is although you think of yourself as a part of God's church, I want you to think of yourself even a little bit bigger. Because a part of the theme of the whole Bible, the best story ever, is that you are in God's covenant. And you are part of God's covenant community. And remember, whenever God comes into a covenant agreement, it's awesome. It's amazing. And remember, it's like trying to catch up with old friends. You're never totally going to exhaust the conversation. You're never totally going to exhaust the riches of being in God's covenant. And Him being in a covenant with you, and also being in a covenant with all of His people together. It is a beautiful concept, and I believe if you will spend time thinking about the fact that you are in God's covenant individually, and you are in God's covenant community, there's a lot of beauty, encouragement, celebration, and hope in that. Number two, and this will go faster. Number two, the continual presence of covenant through the story of the Bible. The continual presence of covenant through the story of the Bible. Number one, we were just looking at this concept of covenant. We really haven't talked about it much, at least since I've been here. And yet it's one of the richest concepts throughout the whole Bible. We needed to spend time and just lay the foundation. And now let's just um, quickly talk about the continual presence of covenant throughout the whole Bible. I would blow the focus of this sermon if I got too involved with its presence throughout the whole Bible. And I really do not want to do that. But in this sermon series, we're going to be like, it's like we're hiking. You hike and you know that there's some scenery out there. But most of the time on the hike, you really can't see through the leaves and the trees. And every once in a while, you're straining and trying to see some of that beautiful scenery. But you can't see it most of the time. Then every once in a while, you come to a lookout. And you look out, and boy, you just sit there for a while. You take your pictures. Maybe you pull out your camping chair and sit down if you have it on your back, whatever. And you just enjoy the lookout. And that's what we're going to be doing in this sermon series often. There's going to be times when we just stop and we we look at this concept of covenant. We are, we're going to be a lookout. And we're going to see the overview, big picture, and how beautiful and rich it is. It's going to be 
all throughout with lookout points. Today, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time tracing it. I've already mentioned it. The concept of covenant is implicit at creation. But the concept of covenant really begins to shine and come out when God is dealing more and more with sinful man. Where you see the generosity and the greatness of God and the relationship we can have with Him through covenant and then how He can rescue and have a relationship with people who become a part of His covenant community. So we talk, it's implicit in creation and then we go all the way to the other end the new creation is not mentioned. But in between new, uh, the original creation and new creation, it is this concept of covenant that helps us get to that destination of the new creation. And it is a continual part of how God gets us to the new creation. So, 2A, covenant in Genesis. Covenant in Genesis. And I'm just going to mention a few references and let you look at them on your own time. <coughs> Genesis chapter 6 and verse <coughs> verse 8. And that's God's covenant with Noah. And it's also mentioned again in chapter 9 and chapter 11. Again with Noah. And then we have the Abrahamic covenant passages mentioned in Genesis chapter 12. And the implications of the Abrahamic covenant are far reaching throughout the rest of the scriptures. Then you also have Genesis 15. And Genesis 17. And then after Genesis 17, this covenant God made with Abraham is played out with his descendants. And that is basically the theme of the rest of the book of Genesis. As you see how God's covenant with Abraham plays out with the rest of his descendants birthing the covenant people of the nation of Israel. To be. Or not to be. To be. Covenant through the rest of the Bible. Covenant through the rest of the Bible. Again, we don't, we don't have time. I don't want to lose our focus here. And I've been saying it over and over again, but I'm just going to mention the high points here. So the next one after the, the covenant with Abraham is the covenant with the nation of Israel. You see that borne out in the rest of the Pentateuch. And in Deuteronomy, the covenant is reaffirmed and renewed as they're on the edge of the land, get ready to go in. But what I will call that is the Mosaic Law covenant. Mosaic law covenant. And I will say this. That what was contained in the Mosaic law covenant. Including the law and all that. Expired when Christ came. Okay. Doesn't mean there aren't things we can't learn from the Mosaic law covenant. But the Mosaic law covenant was a temporary covenant between God and Israel. Until Jesus came. Then the next covenant I want to mention is what we call the Davidic covenant. God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
Second Samuel chapter seven. And it is through this covenant with David we are established the royal line from which Jesus came. A lot I could say about that, but that covenant with David should be precious to us because that is the line that delivered us our Savior. The next covenant and the final covenant I'm going to mention is the new covenant. The new covenant. It's mentioned especially in Jeremiah's chapter 30 through 33. And it's a rich topic. We are enjoying the new covenant today, but we are not enjoying the total fullness of the new covenant. Part of that is yet to come. However, the new covenant is what we live in today. If we enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit, that is a part of the new covenant blessing that you have. And so God is very generous. He has given you the Holy Spirit to indwell you because you are a child of covenant. You are part of his kingdom. You have been saved. And so the richness that you enjoy of the body of Christ, of the indwelling spirit, is because of God's covenant with you in the new covenant. You think of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's a little simplistic, um, but that is the idea behind the folks who called it the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those labels labels are not inspired. To see, just to mention here, to see, Christ through covenant. If we want to look at Genesis, we see this royal line begin to be hinted at when at the end in Genesis 49, Jacob is blessing his sons and he says some pretty bad things about Judah. But in Genesis 49.10, he gives a prophecy. We begin to see this royal line begin to be developed. Through his phrase, it says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, the royal line will be with Judah. And so we're beginning to see that Christ, through covenant, is beginning to be developed, even at the end of the book of Genesis. Okay, let's pull it together. And there's just a couple of blanks there for you to fill out. And this is the official statement as we look at Genesis and how it is a part of the best story ever. Here it is. Genesis is the once upon a time of the best story ever. It explains the beginning of all things. The beginning of the kingdom conflict. And the beginning of God's covenant relationship with his people. Covenant relationship with his people. These are big concepts, but since we have not talked about them much, and yet they are the vehicle by which God has, is rescuing us, my desire for you is to meditate on the beauty and the wonder of the fact that God has made a covenant with you. And that whenever God makes a covenant, it gets awesome. 
Think of all the agreements you've had with other people that you've struggled with. And then think about the agreement you have with God. Where God plays a big part and you play a small part. I want you to have hope in that. As you go through the brokenness of your own life, you struggle with your own sin, you're hurt by other people, or perhaps you hurt somebody else. As you struggle with these world politics, as you struggle with COVID-19, you struggle with people who have a different view on you, on the vaccine, whatever it is. You struggle with whether you should wear a mask or not. Take it all back to the fact that you have a God who's made a covenant with you. And that is transforming your life. And that's beautiful and that's wonderful. I want you to celebrate that. All right, take a few minutes and respond to the Lord in prayer.